Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. This week, we continue our look at policing with a focus on accountability. In recent weeks, the nation's attention has focused on police officers who disobey protocol and or engage in racially based violence. There have been calls to defund or get rid of police, along with calls for significant reform or rethinking the role of police in the community. The Tucson Police Department came under scrutiny recently when it revealed Carlos Ingram Lopez died in their custody in April. Part of the criticism was because the incident was kept quiet for two months. The in-custody death of Ingram Lopez was the second of the year for the Tucson Police Department. On Wednesday night, at the request of AZPM and other news organizations, TPD released more than 1,000 pages of records and videos associated with the death of Damian Alvarado in March and three other in-custody deaths, one in 2010 and two in 2012. All four cases involved a male in TPD custody being handcuffed. Most also involved drug use. We'll have more information on those reports later in the show. Last week, we brought you an interview with Tierra Rainey, an organizer of the Tucson Black Lives Matter movement, which is advocating for defunding or abolishing the police. She says even the use of body cam footage hasn't helped hold police officers accountable. There's this idea that these cameras give a definitive narrative, but as we're seeing with Carlos Adrian, the reality is that people will do backflips to justify the violence that is done to brown and black people in this community, that you can be completely innocent, but having it on camera can only do so much if people aren't willing to accept the idea that cops need to be responsible. Look at the Tucson Police Officers Association right now. Even after the release of the video, they were very clear that, oh, it showed no violence took place. I saw that video and I saw nothing but violence. I saw indifference, right? And we are looking at the same tape, but we have two totally different concepts of reality. And that's honestly, unfortunately, where I think the country is at right now. That view is shared by Vanessa Gallego, an organizer with Families United Gaining Mobility. The group works to address transportation, health, and other access issues facing families in predominantly Latinx neighborhoods in South and West Tucson. She also owns a scrap metal recycling plant in South Tucson. She talked with Elisa Resnick about her concerns about policing, especially the recent case of the death of Carlos Adrian Ingram Lopez in TPD custody. It's hard to say this, right? But we in our community don't really call the cops unless you have to. Um, so it's really sad to see this video, which was really triggersome to me for a family to need help, right? This, this individual needed help and they called the police for help. And then he dies in their custody. Um, and, and then on top of that, you're hearing Carlos Adrian ask for help. So in all aspects, this was a case for help, pleading for help. And the system failed him. Um, so I think a lot of us organizers and residents um, and, and some business owners are even thinking like, what does this system look like now? Is there another system? Is there a better system? Right? Because clearly... Officers are not trained, equipped, or even competent to work with issues like this. 
How does the death of Carlos Adrian fit into the larger picture of how Latinx community members see and are treated by law enforcement? I think the video and, and the incident with the, um, Carlos Adrian really just shows how much um, our community continues to get affected by um, police. We definitely, we, and I think we, the community, right, we have our stories of our own experiences with law enforcement, both police, um, both ICE, you know, and in general, officers, right, with power are intimidating. So a lot of times our community already has these triggers when dealing with officers, um, but we have our own stories. I know many friends who have grown up on the South side in Midtown and Centro on the West side and can tell you how they were treated by police, how they were just, they're walking to their store, you know, and they're, they're being pulled over to a side being searched. Um, their faces being put on hot cars when you know you're one being disrespected two um, being stereotyped or three, just being harassed. Um, and that's nothing new, right? So when the black community talks about these things, we can relate, we can relate. And oftentimes we can give a story behind it and, and validate that. Especially in the wake of the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Black Lives Matter activists, in more and more cities, and now including in Tucson, are pushing for defunding the police or reallocating funds that would normally be used for law enforcement. Do you think now the the Latinx community here in Tucson align themselves with that movement, um, especially after Carlos Adrian? Yes. Um, The Latinx community focuses on a lot of different things, but yes, most definitely, um, I think we're aligning ourselves with Black Lives Matter because this is definitely something that affects us as well as um, brown folks. Um, And clearly we have that video of of Carlos Adrian um, and and forgive me, I don't know this new individual's name whose video was just released March 22nd from Tucson Police Department who also died in custody, who also was saying, I can't breathe. Because yet again, here's this individual who clearly needs help um, saying he needs help and the system that they use to to hold him down, um, you know, ultimately this man died. We're starting to document this in a whole new way, which gives me chills because it's very scary when you document this and then still people are saying that didn't happen or that's not what I see. Tucson Police Chief Magnus tried to resign in the wake of Carlos Adrian's death coming to light last month. His family has asked the chief to stay on and help rectify some of the policies that could have contributed to his death. How do you think that trust can be rebuilt between law enforcement and community members? Can it be rebuilt? It definitely has to start with the community. I think the, in in the sense that we need to be a part of this. I don't think there's much TPD or um, Chief Magnus can do to to have the community trust again. I think, um, I don't know what it would take, but it definitely takes, you know, an outside committee, like an oversight committee of of policing um, to start there. Um, I think as much as TPD might look at itself as progressive and not being part of other 
police departments that have that are being highlighted on a national level, TPD has a lot that they need to do to improve. When we talk about defunding the police or reallocating those funds, based off of people that you've talked to in the community, as yourself a community member and a business owner, where could those funds be reallocated? What would you like to see done with those funds? Uh, I work really closely to Santa Rita Park. Um, And you mentioned that place, Santa Rita Park, and people immediately say, um, you know, oh, the homeless park. Um, Not my words, but folks say that. I see a lot of policing going on there. And oftentimes, I think these folks, what they need, right, is more mental health. Um, They need more resources probably with finding, you know, home security, food security. But I don't think police can address that issue there. So from my perspective, I'd like to see the money go towards real resources that will improve folks, you know, situation to be able to help themselves and not just have policing be a solution um, to a problem. That was Vanessa Gallego, an organizer with the Tucson group Families United Gaining Accessibility. In recent weeks, people are paying more attention to what happens to police officers when they violate protocol or fail to uphold the responsibilities of their job. In some of the most egregious misconduct cases, those officers end up in court and sometimes behind bars. But in our current moment, many are asking, who is policing the police? In Arizona, that job falls to the Arizona Peace Officers Standards and Training Board, or AZ Post. It's a government agency whose board is made up of civilians and law enforcement officials. Matt Giordano is the executive director. He says the board is responsible for making sure new recruits are eligible to become officers, but they also monitor when officers leave their agencies. When someone separates employment, whether it's for a retirement, a resignation, a termination, whatever it might be, they are by statute, that agency is then required to notify us, hey, Officer so-and-so is separating employment from our agency. As part of that notification, there's a, there's a checkbox. Is this related to possible Arizona Post rule violation or possible misconduct, yes or no? And then it comes to us. If it's yes, then we initiate what we call an investigation. So then we reach back out to the agency. We, we collect all of their investigative materials. We review all of that, and we determine if there's a, a, a violation of Arizona Post rules. If so, our compliance specialist compiles all the information, then presents it to the board. And then the board has the ability to take no action with agency discretion. So that basically says that we're just going to let the agency handle this. They can say they are initiating proceedings, which means they want us to look into it further and possibly take it to an administrative law judge hearing. Or they can say, hey, we don't have enough information. The officer now you know, is no longer with that agency. Let's resolve this in the future should they ever want to get back into law enforcement. Giordano says they can also follow up on complaints filed by citizens. And as an example, he pointed to the recent news about the death of a Latino man in Tucson police custody in April. Just due to the high-profile nature of that, we'll want to take a look at that. So what we will do is ultimately request all of the information from Tucson PD, reference their investigation, and we'll look to see if those officers committed any violations that would be considered violations of Arizona Post rules. Arizona has about 15,000 police officers and sheriff's deputies. The board reviews 150 to 200 cases a year, covering a variety of issues, according to Giordano. 
if you think about it, it's happened, you know, whether it's theft, whether it's excessive force, whether it's, you know, uh, sex in public while on duty, whether it's, you know, possession of drugs, whether it's lying in court, whether it's, you know, you name it, it, you know, unfortunately it's happened. When AZ Post deals with an officer, Giordano says there's a process, much like you would find in the court system. Oftentimes, as you know, through unions and other associations, the officers are represented by attorneys. Oftentimes, the attorneys will reach out to us and say, hey, my client would like to enter into a consent agreement for maybe a suspension uh, you know, or something else. Or sometimes they just want to voluntarily relinquish their certification if they've been fired by their agency. They might just want to get it over with and just say, hey, I'll just give back my certification. I don't want to go through a, a, lengthy, a lengthy process. But if they do want to go through the process, then we have, an, we have two assistant attorney generals on staff, and they go through an administrative hearing in front of an administrative law judge. And then that judge obviously can't impose a sanction, but they come up with findings. Then we bring it back to the board, present the findings from that hearing to the board, and then the board makes the ultimate determination on, on what, if any, sanctions they're going to impose on the officer's certification. If an officer leaves an Arizona department due to wrongdoing, their name is entered in a national database. That way they can't do something wrong in one place and end up with a badge in another. However, there are holes in the system. So my, my peers in California said that CalPost, they don't have the ability to revoke or suspend someone's certification. We do have that in Arizona. We do participate in the National Decertification Index. So again, if we have the ability to remove people from this profession who don't deserve to wear a badge and protect the communities that they work in, then I want them gone. AZ Post's authority isn't limited to officers who leave a law enforcement agency. If the officer is accused of wrongdoing, the board can also get involved and suspend a certificate or revoke it if necessary, whether or not the officer was fired. The Arizona Peace Officers Standards and Training Board posts the case it hears on its website so the public can follow the proceedings. This week, the Tucson Police Department released the reports from four additional in-custody deaths from the last 10 years. In the case of Damien Alvarado in March, he allegedly ran from the scene of an auto accident and fought with officers before being tased, handcuffed, and having his legs restrained. Unlike the April death of Ingram Lopez, Alvarado was rolled on his side after about a minute and a half. Paramedics from Tucson Fire arrived to check and cleared him, but after they left, officers noted he was not breathing and began CPR. The paramedics returned and took him to the hospital, where he was pronounced dead. The autopsy listed cause of death as accidental, due to sudden cardiac arrest brought on by restraint and high levels of methamphetamine and other drugs. The first of the 2012 cases involved a man who fled from a domestic violence call. When caught, he was tased and handcuffed. Paramedics who were called to check on him found him sitting handcuffed on a curb surrounded by officers. He was combative and laid face down so firefighters could get his vital signs. He stopped breathing and went into cardiac arrest. CPR was administered and he was taken to the hospital and pronounced dead the police did not release an autopsy. The second 2012 case involved a man found hitting his head against the ground. To stop him, officers put him in handcuffs. Paramedics took him to the hospital where he went into cardiac arrest and died. 
The medical examiner ruled the death an accident and said it was related to the man's long history of drug use. The 2010 case involved a man who was handcuffed, restrained, and placed face down on a fire department gurney while he was taken to the hospital. During the trip, he went into cardiac arrest. He was revived, but later died at the hospital. Manner of death was listed as homicide, with cause of death listed as cocaine and alcohol intoxication and struggle with physical restraint. Neck compression was noted, but no officer, firefighter, or paramedic said they pressed on the man's neck. No charges were filed. The information released by the police department on these four cases includes body camera video for three of them. TPD says in the future it will release video and other information to the public within 24 hours of an in-custody death. We spoke with TPD Chief Magnus this week before the additional reports were released. We started by asking if there are other changes that will result from the death of Ingram Lopez. Obviously, we look at, at any of these deaths as, as tragic events, so our, our continued goal is to be um, more accountable, more transparent. Um, we want to be a learning organization. That's why one of the things that we have in the works right now is our Sentinel Event Review Board. It's really an interesting approach that's being used in the transportation field as well as in hospitals to look um, retrospectively at an, a critical incident and try to learn from it to move away from blaming any one particular individual or individuals and to rather look at systems so you can do things better. So we're going to get some facilitation help from uh, a couple of really knowledgeable folks in this area. We're convening a group of community members as well as uh, some subject matter experts and uh, some folks from within the department to basically look at how can we try to minimize the likelihood of incidents like these deaths going forward? Looking at policy, training, uh, the role of other community resources, all of those kinds of things, and really other issues that maybe community members identify that we should be talking about, and then ultimately issuing a report that we hope will be useful to us and to the community. Of course, it will become public. So, so that's one of the things. But as well, continued meetings with the community, uh, the more we reach out and are part of discussions with community groups, uh, neighborhood associations, um, a wide range of, of people who live in Tucson, I think the better we hear from them about what their kinds of concerns are, um, what the future of policing ought to look like in Tucson, we're very interested in that, and we recognize we have to do that in, in partnership with a lot of other people. TPD has the mental health support team right now. I think it's got about 15 members. Do you see that group expanding? Well, I don't think um, you're ever going to have enough of uh, those team members to go out on every potential call involving somebody in um, mental health or other types of crisis. I think they play an important role, though, in doing follow-up. Um, for example, if we're going out to a house repeatedly where an individual um, has been behaving in a way that causes their family to call us or that's indicative of somebody in crisis, 
it would be great if we could do some follow-up outside of that immediate crisis period to figure out how we get somebody like that back into treatment or maybe into treatment in the first place. But as a general rule, what we've done is get as many of our patrol officers trained as possible in crisis intervention, CIT training. Uh, that's a 40-hour course. Uh, they work with mental health professionals. They do scenario-based training. They learn a lot about handling difficult people and situations. And so I think that's going to be um, our best bet going forward. But, you know, part of the challenge is that these calls don't always come in clearly as one thing or another. You, you don't always know you're dealing with somebody in mental health crisis. Sometimes it's an unknown trouble call or a person with a weapon or a domestic violence situation. So that's challenging. When you talk about training, TPD officers, all police officers, undergo a lot of training. How does the department ensure that that training isn't just completed but becomes second nature so that when it's needed, it just it just happens? Well, that's a great question, and it is a challenge that I think every police agency faces. And um, perhaps not even just police agencies, I think that's that's difficult for people in almost every line of work, including social work. Um, I think the key is that these are issues that have to be continually discussed and brought up by supervisors. There has to be an ongoing effort to do um, scenario-based training, even after an initial training has been completed. Uh, I think these are things we have to look at when we review body camera footage, do our audits of those of, of that kind of information. It, it has to be a source of continued discussion so it's, so it's made relevant and people get hands-on experience in dealing with these things. You mentioned body cameras. Many police departments, including TPD, are now using body cameras. The idea is to increase accountability. With this incident as a backdrop in everybody's mind, do body cameras, from what you've seen, ensure more accountability for officers? Well, I think they help. I don't think they're the be-all, end-all of accountability, um, but I certainly think that they are important, at least in presenting one or more perspectives of what happened. I think they're also important if they're used as a training tool so that supervisors can go back and review incidents with their officers and say, how could we do something better or differently? There are those across the country and now even in Tucson saying that we need to defund the police, taking the reform approach to policing. How do you respond to those calls? Well, I think um, policing as a profession definitely needs reform. And there have in particular been some departments and some whole areas of the country where policing is not done nearly as well as it should be, and certainly not in a partnership with the community. Um, so I, I agree there's some real issues that have to be addressed. Uh, defunding, I, I don't think that's so much the answer. I, 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 would, I would support the idea of more funding for other services and resources that help address some of the problems that police have kind of been often on an island trying to address by themselves, whether we're talking about um, mental health or homelessness or drug issues. 
often when we're talking about these issues after hours, you know, uh, weekends, holidays, after 5 p.m., police on, are, are on a little bit of an island. We're the ones who get called. We respond. Uh, so to the degree that more funding would be available to help some of the agencies and organizations that, are, um, that have a lot of skills and training in these areas, I'd, I'd love to see that. It needs to be expanded so that can happen um, on a 24-7 basis. But that said, um, even if we had agencies with, uh, let's say, co-responders around the clock, I don't know too many social workers that want to go into an unknown trouble call. Um, I don't know too many um, even really capable mental health clinicians that want to go into a potential person with a weapon situation by themselves. I think we have to be realistic here and recognize that police are going to be an important partner um, and maybe have to be the ones that go in first on many of these calls just to make things safe for other people. Of course, with funding, the question always is, and where does that funding come from? If someone on the city council or in the community, maybe on this new board, came up with a model that looked good, uh, that could accomplish a lot of this, would you be willing to have some funding come out of TPD to go to more mental health uh, officers, if you will, or something like that? Well, here's the challenge that a lot of people don't realize. You know, roughly 90 94, 95% of most police budgets is for personnel. Um, and so we already have an expectation or a frustration, maybe I should say, in Tucson that response times to many calls are long. You know, people wish that there were actually more police officers to handle um, a wide range of challenges. So it wasn't that long ago that this agency was staffed at around 1,100 sworn people. We're now down to 800 some. There's a very lean police department. We, I think we've done an extraordinary job um, building a ratio of roughly, we're certainly moving towards a ratio, we're not quite there yet, of one community service officer, those are um, non-sworn or civilian personnel, to um, every nine police officers. So we're using professional staff wherever we can to handle a wide range of things um, out in the community. I, I don't see the answer as reducing our staffing, and I don't believe the majority of community members do either. That was Tucson Police Chief Chris Magnus. And that's the buzz for this week. Listen to our show from last week to hear more perspectives on defunding the police. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Duncan Moon is the interim news director. And our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.